Welcome to Silver Line Behind the Frame, episode number 33. I am Josiah Ness, and in this episode, we get to sit down with a very good friend of ours, Robert Comstock. Robert has been in the fashion industry for over 30 years, and he's taken his passion for design and exploration and merged the two into creating some very unique garments that last a lifetime. We get to hear how he started in his garage, making his first leather jacket, to now having some of today's top artists and celebrities wearing his clothing. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Silver Line Behind the Frame. I'm super excited today get to sit down with a good friend of mine, Robert Comstock. Um, we've done a couple projects together, um, and he's in the fashion world, so I'm super excited. I've got some of his garments, and um, one of them's definitely my all-time favorite, and you've probably seen a couple of my Instagram posts, but um, um, I love I love his stuff. So I'm super excited to have him on the podcast, and Robert, welcome to Just, the Silver Line Behind the Frame. Thanks, Josiah. Great to so, be here, as, as always, and in your presence. There's a lot of synergy here. Oh, thank I you. That. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, tell, the, tell the viewers um, um, what it is you do and what you're, you know, you, who you are and what you do. So my, my approach in my career, really, I, I've always been more fascinated with places and particularly third world countries and, and adventure and expedition type things, and than anything else. And mm-hmm. and early on, though, I I uh, I got started designing clothing, right? Yeah. And uh, but it had to have a reason and a purpose behind it, and it had or inspiration, if you will. Yeah. And I realized, gosh, this is my ticket, you know, because as soon as the things that I started designing and producing were selling, then I could go to Timbuktu or wherever the place was in the great big world out there and do an expedition of sorts or do something with a scientist from the Peregrine Fund and then uh, do that for my own edification, kind of blow the carbon out of sedentary everyday life uh-huh. and go out as I know you've you've been all over the world and you've yeah. trekked up and down mountains and you do that type of thing and it and it brings it recharges you and and I thought this is perfect I can use this as my inspiration and so my avocation and vocation become one and the same that's awesome that's yeah. awesome so as far <laughs> as the fashion uh dive into what you're doing right now with you know designing your lines where are they getting put out where are they you know what stores are they getting put in who's buying them stuff like that Let sure me. sure so i i have two tiers that i do um uh, on the on the top level i produce everything over in italy and when you say pr- produce what does production mean right, right. I, mm-hmm. i'll go over first of all at all source raw materials that are appealing to me right so i'll be using baby alpacas and cashmere or uh, Spanish shirlings and and uh, beautiful leathers out of Italy, and or maybe deerskins from North America, hmm. right? Wow! And then I'll I have to have the materials first in my hands, and then I'll start designing what the material says it wants to be. Right. So I never copy other looks, and I I never really care about what if someone says this is what's in fashion today. I'd I'd rather just kind of go what I had in my closet last year and. And what I myself would want to wear, you know, on the men's side. Yeah. On the women's side, it's it's a lot of fun. I th- I think that, uh, you know, again, material you can go so much more crazy with women's designs than you can men's. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, women are much prettier than men anyway. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> uh, and then so that's the top, that's the high end collection. So I'll make that in as I say, I produce everything in Italy with European raw materials. And then I'll sell that to very high end specialty stores such as Mitchell's on the uh, um, or uh, Mitchell's in uh, Connecticut, uh, Stanley Korshak in Dallas, uh, Axel's, which is a wonderful store in, in uh, Vail, Colorado. Basically high-end ski resorts. It's a very expensive collection. Yeah. So uh, it's it takes what's called a specialty store. And right. by that, I mean you're not going in a department store. You're going in a specialty store, and someone takes the time to learn about you, what you what you like to wear, what would help you put your outfits together. Mm-hmm. And, and they, because to sell a, a very high-end piece of clothing, the person selling it needs to know what they're talking about. Totally. And that customer, by essence of the fact that it is so, costs so much, they're going to be pretty demanding. They're going to know why am I paying. You know, guys are right. tire kickers. Right. It doesn't matter how much money they have. They've, they've got to know where's the value. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that tie in with the cost? So right. that's that side. 
and it's and it's been an exciting one for me because that's what led me all over the world in right. Papua New Guinea or Greenland or Madagascar or wherever it's been. And then I do a mid-tier collection, which at the current time I'm producing exclusively for Dillard's. And uh, I've always said it's funny. You know, I'll have high-end stores where buyers are very important people, and I enjoy taking them out to dinner or whatever, but I wouldn't necessarily want to go on a fishing trip with them. Mm-hmm. Whereas the guys at the at the management level I've met at Dillard's and even the salesmen that they work with, they're they're just very real people, yeah. and they're connected to a very real customer. And it's a guy that comes in and, and wants good value for what he's paying for, but he's not necessarily a fashion victim by any means, mm-hmm. and just wants something that's going to really hold up and last long. And and I think that has to be, no matter what level of the market you're in, that's got to be tantamount. Right. So that's kind of my two areas of distribution, mm-hmm. high-end specialty stores, and then uh, Dillard's, which would be more of a mainstream. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> no, it's been it's been cool over the last year working with you and, and spending a bunch of time and seeing all the all the different stuff that you've designed. Especially you know that line that we just filmed a couple months ago when we were up in your cabin, um, when you had all the all the fabrics there and all the designs and all the papers that your original designs. You know, and you had you know a full crocodile jacket there. I mean, you had you had pieces that I was like I was blown away. Like I love every piece. I want every piece. Um, and that's all that, all your high end stuff they do. Cause most, is, is most of that like one of one stuff? Um, or it, is I'll typically do, I mean, I do do a few one of ones. I just did one for a, I was just sharing with Josiah at lunch right now, mm-hmm. a VIP customer that yep. a lot of people would know who the individual is, but, but, um, I did a very special one of a kind piece for them so i'll do that but typically on that high-end line i'll make like 30 pieces of it okay. and i and i number them and hand sign them mm-hmm. yep. so someone knows that they're not going to see themselves coming and going and they have something that's going to be right you know unique yeah I've, I, I think i have one of my jackets that i got is a one of i think it's a one of 30 one of 50 cool and i don't remember exactly i'd have to pull it out and see what number i've but I'm all about that. I love that. Like, you know, there's only a couple of them because you see all yeah. the time, especially now, you know, so many pieces get reproduced, you know, and there's thousands of them out there. And you, so you sure. walk into a store, you know, and you're like, that guy's got the same jacket as I do. Like, I don't like this. And so <laughs> to have like very limited runs, it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, obviously it's a little more niche, right? Yeah. To have that. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, when you buy it, you know, and the quality is just, oh my gosh, amazing. I love well, every single piece, you know. Thank you. It's so cool. Um, so tell us about how you, uh, I, I know a bunch of this story, but there, you know, there's probably some pieces that I don't know just from our time together, but go back to when you first started designing clothing. Cause I think that's the cool, you know, I started, you know, we started our company in a garage. I know a lot of people that started their companies in garages and, t- and to me, it's a big deal. And so when you told me, you're like, oh yeah, we, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to kill it or anything like that, but, uh, I love your story of how you guys started. So kind of, kind of give us that breakdown of how that. Sure, sure. No, I, I uh, when I was in, in college, I never had a leather jacket. And I thought, how cool would it be to have a leather jacket? I didn't have enough money to buy a leather jacket. Mm-hmm. And so then I, I finished school, and, and uh, I went back to New York, and I was interviewing with the big banks. And But at the same time, I went into a store called Bloomingdale's. And you have to appreciate that I was born in Pocatello, Idaho, and, you know, raised in Pocatello until I was 12. I and, then, and then the Idaho native, five generations. That's awesome. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always, I'm I'm first and foremost always speaking about Idaho, wherever I am. But uh, so I I was in New York and went into, into a very famous store and saw these leather jackets. And, and I, I could do that. You know, I, I think I could do that. I'm, I'm, you have to understand, Josiah, my success is because I'm mercifully free from the ravages of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I just think I could do something. I'm dumb enough to try it. And uh, and it worked, but but I I I went down and to South America because this jacket said made in Uruguay, so I went down there and and I got my father to help me. Dad was gonna help me with my MBA uh, loan for for school, and I said, Dad, I'd rather start a, a leather collection, you know. So he was amazing. He he supported me, That's and awesome. and I went down and and uh, so I came back up. I found factories, put a few styles together, came back up to Boise and converted my parents' garage at, at 4023 Del Monte Drive. I turned their garage into my world headquarters. Hmm. 
And I'd go down to the, at the time, now it's, uh, I guess they're called uh, Macy's today, but then it was, uh, it was, uh, oh gosh, the Bon Marche was the name oh, of the store. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd go down to the Bon at nighttime, and I'd, I'd go to the back where they'd throw their boxes out, because all day long their, their receiving department is getting shipments from all over the place. Yeah. So I'd go pick up these boxes that weren't too badly crushed, and then I'd take them up to my parents' garage, and then I'd pack my leather coats in them. And, That's so awesome. And, and I, you know, it's, to this day, literally, I know I've shared this with you on, on our own, but to this day, if I see a really nice cardboard box on the streets, it's everything I can do not to go over pick yeah. it up. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. How was, at that time, who, who were you shipping to? Like, how did people figure out your name and who you were and what you made? Is it? Well, that was a really funny story because my last name being Comstock, right? So anybody who studied Western history mm-hmm. has have heard or, or it's they grew up you know, watching Westerns, they saw the Comstock load, which was the biggest silver load or mine ever found in North America in Virginia City, Nevada. Right. And I'm shoestring related to that. I mean, you've got to go through a lot of shoestrings yeah. to get us there. No money of it trickled down by any means. <laughs> but, uh, but so I would, I, I'd, I would call a store and say, hi, this is Robert Comstock. And I called my company, the Comstock load, I was too dumb to realize that load, like a like a gold or silver load of a mine, is L O D E. So I spelled I spelled it the Comstock load L O A D, which nice. is probably pretty apropos now right. thinking about it. But I would call these stores up and say, "Hi, this is Robert Comstock with the Comstock load." They go, "Oh yeah, I've heard of you." You know, well, they hadn't real they hadn't heard from no me way. from Adam, but they and right. I wasn't thinking about it this way at the time. But right. I realized soon that people were thinking, "Yeah, they heard of me because of." Some cow or bonanza or whatever they saw on TV, right? right. So that's awesome. That's how it, that's how it started out. No yeah. way, that's so cool. So how did it, so when it you know started from there, you were you know shipping shipping products out. What was what's that kind of timeline of what kind of stuff happened as far as in your career? How did how did that take off? Well, let me start first at the very beginning days because there's, there's so many funny stories there, but one in particular. Um, I I so I, I went to a. F- a uh, like you hear about the magic shows down in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. right? And these are big West Coast Apparel Guild shows, right? And you have every clothing brand that you d- – there's probably, oh, maybe 15,000, 20,000 retailers from all over the world that come to these shows, right? Yeah. So I learned about it from a friend who was a rep for Arrow Shirts in Boise, Idaho, and he said, you ought to try to get into one of these shows. So I did, and uh, I opened up some accounts there, and I come back home, and I'm – bringing in my product to start shipping. And we had, my parents had two collies and they were just tall enough and I had built two racks in the garage so that the, the lower rack of these coats, these dogs could scratch their backs in the, on, the, on the bottom rung of these leather jackets. So I'd, my process was I'd have, before I put them in the Bon Barche boxes, I'd have to vacuum the dog hair out, oh, out of the wool cuffs. I promise it was good merchandise, uh-huh. but, but, uh, so I would ship out, and, and it was so funny because I'm sitting there. I've shipped my first shipments out to maybe 20 stores, and I'm, I'm eating breakfast one morning early, and the phone rings, and I just know this is a business call. I just six cents, right? Mm-hmm. So I pick up the phone. I go, I go Comstock, <laughs> it used to be hello, right? right? But now that Comstock could be the Comstock family or my company. And the voice said, let me have your shipping department. So I took, this is back when rotary <laughs> dial, right? Uh-huh. So I would, took the one and I dialed it to, so, I, so the guy basically was on hold. And I scream up to my, I'm down in the basement. I go, Mom, I scream my mother. I said, get on the telephone and tell them you're the shipping department. My mother, not knowing anything about this, she gets on the phone. She goes, shipping department? No <laughs> way. That and is then awesome. I'd haul out to the garage and see whatever I had hanging, what people needed. And uh-huh. those were the very humble beginnings. Wow. But I had a real amazing experience, Josiah. I was, I'd been in business for one year, and I'd, and I'd sold just enough to keep myself going. You know, no employees, of mm-hmm. course. And I go back to a show in New York, and uh, this buyer comes in from this huge, huge chain of stores and sits down. He says, I really like your line. And he says, I'm going to give you an order. I went, great. You know, so he starts writing up, filling out. He noticed it's taking him some time to fill out this order. Gets up and walks out. Looked at it. It was about a million-dollar order. Wow. 
And it just, I mean, for five seconds, I was bouncing off the ceiling, of course. And I thought, where am I going to get the credit to make this thing? Right. You know, I don't, I don't have the credit to put up the financing to produce this order, let alone deliver it. Right. So I went to the factory that I'd started working with and went to the owner of it and explained to him that, uh, again, this is down in Montevideo, Uruguay now, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm working with Dr. Carlos Jose Pena was his name. And I said, his, but his nickname was Chichi. And I said, Chichi, I've got some good news and bad news. He said, well, I've, I've heard the good news. He said, the good news is you've sold about a million dollars. I go, yeah. He said, what's the bad news? I said, I don't have the money to finance it. And he said, listen, I've known you for about a year now. I trust you. I'll ship everything on open account. Wow. And usually when I tell the story, I kind of crack up a little bit. Not a laughing, but I mean, right. it's hard to talk because that the favor that that man did for me shipping i mean because i could have taken everything and absconded with it he's down in south america i'm in idaho mm -hmm. somewhere but i he because of him i was able to ship everybody receive get my receivables back in pay him back and then i was started wow. and then it, then it took off very quickly and in about 10 years time i was selling japan and other areas of the world and and getting into the very top top stores but so much of it was just luck Mm -hmm. you, you, obviously, lots of blessings along the way. Hard work, man. And yeah, hard work for sure. You know all work. about that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's crazy. What was in that ten years? What were like, you know, pivotal moments like that that happened? You know, someone calls you that you know wants to put it in a in, you know in a big store. You know, yeah. I've heard you talk about names of people that you've met and and kind of started that. Is that and is that when the all the exploration stuff started to kick in? Was in that that ten year window too? Yeah, as soon as the the business itself became profitable, and I got a little bit of time, then I started. Some buddies and I flew some whitewater canoes down to Quito, Ecuador, and mm. you know that was a that was a great adventure because I'd always wanted to canoe the Amazon tributaries, right. right? And I'm flying along in an airplane one day, sitting next to a guy and. And I told him what I was working on. He goes, oh, well, I know, you know, I've got this friend who runs this non-denominational mission down in, in uh, Quito. He says, if you want, I can have them help you. If you want to ship your stuff down ahead of time, they can help you with the imports of it. So wow. we did that. And then I was thinking one day I'd love to take some firearms with us, mm -hmm. right, just to have a little bit of safety yeah. on the river. And I thought, how in the heck do you take firearms down to South America, right? You don't. Right. right? So I said to thinking, well, I'm not going to call the embassy because they'll <laughs> put me on a special list for right. sure. So I started thinking, you know, just kind of our Idaho way, right? Uh -huh. I said, to, how many phone calls can the head general of the Ecuadorian army get a day? Not that many, right? I mean, from America. Yeah. You have to understand this is way back in the early, early 80s, right? Okay. So I called the the Ecuadorian embassy in New York and asked for the, for the telephone number for the for the army and I got it and I called down and I asked for the head general and I got him on the phone in like mm. two minutes. Wow. And I explained to him, I said, so he said, so, luckily I speak Spanish and he said, so what are you going to do? You know, who who's this part and parcel with this expedition? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the guys that I was, was going with me had contacted National Geographic and said, would you maybe want to donate some camera for photography equipment or anything? And so they said, no, but if you get some good shots, we'll look at them, you yeah. know. I said, well, in part, National Geographic, because it was in part, right? At the time. Yeah. At the time, yeah. yeah. Totally. That's and so, awesome. And so this general says, so who are you coming? I said, well, in part, National Geographic. And he said, okay, come on down. We'll, we'll meet you. And so we fly down. We don't even go through customs. Wow. The plane lands on the tarmac. Coronel Ramirez comes out, meets us, takes us in. Never even had to open up a bag. Took us into their war room and said, listen, here's the deal. We're at war with Peru right now. So you've got to hug to our side of the tributaries when you're going down. And, and th this is way before cell service, anything like that, mm -hmm. right? So they contacted all their little army outposts down the river and let them know about what days they could expect us. Hmm. We come down, and the military outposts knew that these six gringos were coming down in three canoes. Wow. And it was just an awesome experience. But I came back and designed a line around that. You know, I was hmm. designing the time pants that zipped off into shorts right. before any of that stuff was done. I mean, huh. now you see it all the time. Right. 
So then I go to Paris, right, with this collection, and I'm the first American ever to exhibit at the at the uh, at the Sem show in Paris, and I opened up about 25 accounts in the Benelux countries, in Germany, and Italy, and Paris. I, I ended up having my own shop in Trois-Cartier and Printemps and Galerie Lafayette, which were top, top-tier stores in Paris, hmm. just because I was doing stuff that they hadn't seen before. Right. Right? And so that catapulted me into stuff. And then I then I started selling, you know, Bergdorf Goodman in New York and super high-end stores. Mm -hmm. And the more that it that it became known and it was more important to me that I be authentic and not try to copy what other people were doing. Yeah. And that's why the travels that you and I've talked so much about mm -hmm. and plan on doing ourselves um, in third world countries and, and uh, whether it be, you know, I, I got to race in Papua New Guinea and we raced 1,500 miles to the highlands. And mm -hmm. that was sponsored by Camel GT Racing and Range Rover, right? And so all those experiences were what I thrived on, I'd far rather talk about adventure than I would fashion. I, I don't I don't care so much about fashion. I just like to create. Right. Mm -hmm. And the the ticket I've been given or the palette I've been given is to do so with fashion. So right. yeah, that's what I do. That's that's so cool. Yeah, and, and you know, and all those those different trips that we've talked about and we've looked at footage, um, and we'll have a link to your videos, you know, when we post this, so people can go in there and see those videos. And I mean, just the photos and the tribes that you got to see, and the places and where you—I mean, it's just—I mean—and and you got video and footage, which is amazing, you know, to have that from all these different things. And it's—it's it's some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen. You know, just the old camera, the old film stuff, no audio, but it's—it's uh, it's just so raw and, and, yeah. and unique because it's just not a lot of people do that you know yeah, yeah. um what are some of those other trips that you went on uh you know couple maybe some of those stories that we've talked about or ones that we haven't talked about um that were that were that were like that you know just like sure. the Am i mean that 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 part of the amazon is just you know and you've told me other stories that happen along the amazon and that's just that's cool stuff but is there some more like stories like that that you can yeah, let's see what kind of yarn I can spin here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> for, for that darn video, I could say whatever I wanted right, to. Right. Uh, no, they. My brother and I were working on uh, to ski across Greenland, and I was uh, I was enamored with the, as we've shared before, you and I, the Amundsen, Scott, Perry, all the polar explorers mm -hmm. that were in races to get to the South Pole and the North Pole, and and I had, uh, I was training up in the uh up the hudson bay <laughs> and it's the polar bear capital of the world where we were and we were way out on the on the ice pack and and this was just days away from when we were going to fly uh the way we could get to greenland at the time you had to go to finland and then you fly over from finland <laughs> to kulasuk which where we would go and i ended up getting severe frostbite i was supposed to lose four fingers wow i'd uh i was working closely at the time with with the north face and with uh gore that makes gore-tex mm -hmm. and so i designed everything we had from their inner garments to the outer shells but i didn't design the gloves not that my, my designs would have been any better <laughs> but over the years living in idaho and trying to prove how cool i was going up the the in the uh chair lifts right. i take my gloves off and the who are you want to keep your hands warm i don't really need it but i learned through sad experience that when you get frostbite wherever stage of frostbite you degenerate to that's where you stay hmm. you you never come back from frostbite right so every time you get it and it worsens it just leaves stops at that degree so i was up there and i had expedition weight gloves on but i should have really had mittens hmm. and uh so I ended up getting this bad frostbite and was supposed to lose the four fingers, and that's a whole other experience. Yeah. But um, and then I, and it, and I went about a year or so later. I went up. I got up to Greenland, but I went up with the Peregrine Fund, with Bill, Dr. Bill Burnham, who at the time was the president of the Peregrine Fund, and we got in. We had some old Zodiac rafts, and we were going. We were taking off. We flew up on cs 140s which was way cool hmm. with mm -hmm. the air force out of new jersey wow and you you know you feel like you're in those old uh you know the the, the movies that uh arnold schwarzenegger and those guys make where you're right. strapped in the sides of the c-140 and and you know the back end unloads and you can 
push jeeps off of them, yeah. right? So we fly up to to the Air Force base in Connick, which is the farthest Inuit village up there, and and the United States built that in the 50s in the Cold War. Hmm. And the purpose of it was if there was ever a missile launch from the Soviet Union at the time, we would have had a first, we'd have been a first responder and known that it was on its way. Mm. And so they built that whole base, still functioning base today. They built that base in two months' time. That's crazy. You know, they only have six months of sunlight up there. Right. And so they built that base. And anyway, we were guests of them. And we went up and captured, we went up to study the Peregrine Falcon. And because that's the longest migration of any animal in the world, it's 10,000 miles. So they'll nest in Greenland and fly all the way down to the tip of South America. Hmm. And so we were, we were trapping and, and we were uh, scaling down the, the uh, face of Dundee, which was about 1,000 feet off the deck. And, and you can't, you can't uh, put, anything, put any iron into the rock because it's, it's, uh, it's granite and it's crumbly. And you don't want the chicks down below to have anything hit them. So we'd have to go down with what are called gym R's, and you know mm -hmm. what those are. Yep. And we'd climb down and, and ban the chicks and come back up. But, yeah. I mean, I, I could just go on. I could yep. go on for hours talking about just that trip by itself. But that was fascinating because then I was asked, Bill, again, the president of the fund, he said, Rob, would you fly up to the – excuse me, we were at the Air Force Base. Then I flew up to Connick. Mm -hmm. And I and I jumped aboard a, uh, the, I got a, a ride with the he with the helicopter from the Air Force Base, and I jump in there and I'm I'm the only guy in the back. There's two pilots. I'm in, in the back sitting on this big box, and there's this Greenlandic guy, uh, that an Inuit, mm -hmm. and he's sitting on a couple of boxes away from me. And you know the din in the motor's going really loud. And I go, "What's your name?" And he goes, "Robert." I go, "My name's Robert." I go, "What's your last name?" And he goes, "Perry." Robert Perry. I went. Robert Perry? Wow. Well, Robert Perry was the first person to explore that made it to the North Pole. Uh -huh. He said, yeah, he was my great-grandfather. Wow. So we land in Connick. He says, do you want to live with, do you want to stay in my home with me and my family? Well, all I had was this tent and a backpack. I mean, yeah, I would love it because it's all, you know, freezing temperatures. Right. So I go down and we're eating raw narwhal and sill. And I mean, huh. it's so cool. And he says, do you want to meet my, my grandfather? And I said, I would love to. So we walked down this little path in the snow, and all the huskies are tethered down, right? Because uh -huh. it's dug sleds, how they get around with everything there. And we go in this little hut, and I stoop down to get inside of it. And there's this little old man, probably about 85 years old, sitting in a chair. And I look at him, and up above him is a sepia tone old photograph of, and it's Admiral Robert Perry wow. with a little baby wrapped up in silkskins in his arms. And that's the old man in the chair. Wow. You know, and it was just like, and it, and it was so cool, Josiah, because I said, I had a little video camera with me, and I said, well, can, you, can you ask your grandfather if I can take a few photos, of a few, some footage of him? Mm -hmm. And so he asked his grandfather, and, and his f grandfather came back, and his language he said, as long as he, this sounds like a movie, but it's real. Mm -hmm. he, he said, as long as he promises not to take my soul. Wow. And I, and I course made that promise and, right. and uh, gosh but the, the experiences there listening to the polar bear hunts that he mm. himself because every young man when he probably has to prove himself has to go with his own dog team on his own to get his own polar bear and being part of that was was and then that parlayed later on I met I shared with you one time I met Russell Means mm -hmm. and Russell was a very outspoken Native American activist who started the Sundance again in America after it was outlawed by the U.S. government mm -hmm. back in the American Indian Wars. And and uh, Russell and I became very dear friends, and I was the only uh, non-Native American to participate in that Sundance. It was a four wow. days of you don't eat, you don't drink, and you dance from sunup till sundown. And right. you dedicate that Sundance to your mother or a sister or your wife or a special woman in your life. And... It, so ex I've had the opportunity to have experience. It's funny because just the other day, this is something I didn't tell you about before, but I was down in, uh, again, in Ecuador. No, excuse me. I was in, uh, oh, gosh, where was the stronghold of the, you know where Machu Picchu is, mm -hmm. right? And what's the, the main city you get to before Machu Picchu? Um um, oh gosh. I'd have to pull it up. I, ca I can't, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of. 
Well, it's 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 obviously it's Peru, right? But it's not it's not Lima because Lima is where you fly into in the coastal town. But way up in the mountains, you get to this town, and that's kind of the forerunner to get up into Machu Picchu. At any rate, I'm I'm walking through the plaza. You'd know the name of it if mm-hmm. I could come up with it right now, Josiah. But I'm walking through the plaza with this fellow that that I knew down there, and he was of Italian descent, and his great grandfather had had come down there, and he brought electricity to the city, hmm. showed them how to create electricity and mm-hmm. run it and wire it. And um, anyways, we walked through the plaza. This guy walks up to us holding a – and it, to the to my friend and says, you know, your grandfather knew my grandfather, and and they, they, they drew the connection. And he said – and it, it was like a fair going on, right? Little – like people <coughs> selling little stands of food or mm-hmm. artifacts or whatever – and he said, do you want to come see what I have? So my friend said, sure. So we walk over to the tent, and this guy opens up this plastic bag and dumps it on the tabletop, and it's full of gold tumies, which was a sacrificial knife that the Incas used. Wow. Okay. It was it was full of gold and jewelry, and I mean, it, it just, I was blown away looking at it. Wow. And the guy, because he knew my friend, he said, does your... He told me, he said, do you want to buy any of this? Well, I knew right away what this guy was. He's what you call a guajero. He's a grave robber. Uh-huh, yeah. And I thought, no, I don't need that karma. Right, you know? yeah. So I said, no, but just out of curiosity, how much are you selling it for? And he said, whatever the gold weighs, whatever the weight of the gold is, that's no. what we sell it for. And he said, if you don't buy it, I've got a group of uh, from Switzerland coming over in an hour. They're going to buy everything. But if you want something now... and for a second, I thought, if I don't do it, they will. I thought, no, that's right. n- that's not the line you want to follow. So right. I didn't do it, but but still, though, just to see <coughs> oh, stuff that amazing. you know was was you know made way back when you know and was in a tomb or something for years and years yeah. and years, you know that no one would else would see and pristine. Oh yeah, and one one perfect. of the items which you would personally dig was a sling. Oh. Wow. It had the the whole cords coming down to it. Oh it was a linen, perfect, beautiful linen weaving that would hold the polished river rock in it uh-huh. for the sling, right? There was a pair of, like, diapers made out of linen that wow. were just perfectly woven. This was all pre-Columbian huh. artifacts we're looking at, you know? Jeez. And then I'd be in Japan somewhere, and I'd, I'd you know, when I first went over there, I I was at a restaurant one night. I was invited by a friend from Taiwan who was doing some distribution for me. You know, I'm like 28, 29 here, mm-hmm. right? And 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 we look over, and it, this was a this was a very kind of uh, tucked away in a special part of the city. And over there is the emperor, the original, the emperor during World War II of mm. Japan was still alive at the time, wow. sitting there. And I just, I, you know, my pictures. Thinking of him were the old pictures of Stalin and FDR mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, that era, that time period. And he was the emperor of Japan back then. Wow. When they thought he was literally still a god, mm-hmm. you know, before the end of that war. And and so those types of experiences have been – I've I've received more than I think any one person could ever hope to have happen. Right. You know, but you always realize what you come away with it is – it's appreciation for everyone and anyone, every race, every creed, every color. Mm-hmm. I always say the angels in our lives are of every single ism hmm. that's out there. Yeah. You know, it's just people, good people, man. Wow. That's I'm waxing a- into, go ahead. And <laughs> no, that, no, that's great. That's that, And that's what's cool. You know, it's because it's so different. You you brought, and that's the thing that was, was very interesting. When we started talking and I start, you know, started hearing more of those stories that you've done these experiences explorations and expeditions and stuff like that that you went in with a completely different mindset and you come out with it with a completely different mindset and what you're taking in your in your view it's not just oh hey let's go see this cool place it's you know the people you met along the way and 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 being into the cultures and the people and eating their food and you know and it's a different time you know now it's a little bit different because it's easier to get in all these places and more people see photos but you know back when you were saying back in the 80s and 90s National Geographic was the only thing that you could, yeah. you know, could see yeah. that all these different things, and it was all black and white. But you got to experience this stuff in those days first, you know, firsthand, which is which is amazing, you know. And yeah. you have photographs that and some video that you know you brought with it, and 
and how that ties into you know your fashion and what you've done you know over the over the years is just is is so unique and cool and how you know it's just it's a different it's so different unique you know so um i know one of the stories that um when you went to mongolia and you did the um the stuff with was the golden eagles uh-huh when you did right. tell that tell that story real quick because that one i that one's cool that's one of my favorites for sure so just this afternoon at uh, lunch josiah was kind enough to invite me to lunch and and uh we should name that restaurant it was pretty darn yeah. good brick 29 nampa <laughs> idaho <laughs> uh, so uh, free plug right there so. <laughs> and he caught the expense of the meal it was great <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, it was awesome meal their mac and cheese I mean, if we're going to talk about it their mac and cheese was bomb well was so yeah good. i had the sophisticated i had the oyster sandwich which was way over big time mm-hmm. uh, but yeah getting back to mongolia so i had i had uh used Thinsulate in my garments, right? And and there was a, came a point in time where I thought, I'm going to contact the people at 3M that make Thinsulate and see if they'd be interested in supporting some kind of an environmental, you know, outreach. And, yeah. and so I did, and they, they came up and they said, yeah, we'd love to fund something for you. So I called, again, Bill Burnham at the Paragraph, and I said, Bill, where's a place in the world that we've never done anything before? Yeah. And he goes... Outer Mongolia, and I went whoa, because <laughs> that's like booga booga. I mean, right, that's th- out there. Now you hear about Mongolia a lot. I, I'll guarantee you, in the in the in around 1998, 99, when we did this, you no one knew about Mongolia. You didn't hear about Mongolia, yeah. right? So he said, yeah, because he said, Rob, the Cossacks are there, and they fly, they do falconry with golden eagles. They're the only culture in the world. It uses eagles to hunt with. Hmm. He says they take wolves wow. with these eagles. Yeah. So you've got this golden eagle, which are on major every major continent, mm-hmm. not Antarctica, of course, but right. eagles are everywhere. Golden eagles, and 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 these guys have done this for over a thousand years. Hmm. So we set it all up, and we we get over to to outer Mongolia, and we take. Oh, it was so cool. We got on these old tail dragging Cessnas and <laughs> early in the morning and man you know these pilots get on they've got this old world war they look like old german luftwaffe flyers right wow. they get these heavy heavy duty leather jackets with shirling collars and they get in the cockpit and we're sitting behind them and all our windows are cracked <laughs> the seats are all twisted backwards and <laughs> they get one prop going get the other prop going and wow. And we barely get up in the air. We start going over the Altai Mountains, just kind of just hugging the hugging the granite, looking down. You're and probably thinking we're gonna die. Oh yeah, but, I thought, but if it. we do, here it is. You <laughs> right? know, it's yep. so cool. What a place to so, do it in. So much better than getting hit by a bus in New York. Oh, totally, totally. So uh, we land at the first because we got to refuel, and we get out, and they've got all these frozen. Looks like what we would look at as a sucker or a chub, uh-huh. right? They're, they're obviously from some lake somewhere, but they're right on the runway, one after another lined up, and you just buy them and you just suck on this raw fish. Oh. It's just yeah, pretty, pretty, but it's just solid frozen fish sickle, huh. right? I mean, wow. it's it's the fish that was never cleaned or it just laid out. Boom, it's hard as a rock. And anyway, we jump back in and and then we fly to Ulgi, which is the farthest western province in Outer Mongolia. Hmm. And then we get on these old Russian lot of Jeeps, take eight hours on that, and then we get on horseback. We're on horseback for about eight days in country, all single-digit weather. And what blew our minds was that it looked just like you were in the foothills, looked like you were chucker hunting around our area. The topography was exactly the same. But at any rate, then we meet these wonderful Cossack gentlemen who they they gave us – their horses were crazy horses. They're, hmm. They looked like big German shepherds, super small ponies, but they could outpower anything the Forest Service has, wow. day in and day out, up and down the mountains. So we would ride with them. Sometimes we'd ride way up on the crest of the mountains, and they'd ride below, but or we would ride below flushing up game, which hmm. would be hare or fox or whatever. Right. And these guys on the top, you know, like you've seen some of the photographs, yep. I'm right behind them, right? Wow. And they take the hood off the eagle, and the eagle with this 
you know, they triangulate right away, mm -hmm. and they know exactly where their target is, and they just go, for, and then you're just galloping straight oh, down the shit. mountainside, you know, as they take off for a rabbit or, or whatever it be. Wow. So we hunted with those guys for about six or eight days, and there's a there's a movie that's been made about the eagle huntress, mm -hmm. and it's it's made a lot of commotion, and a lot of people watched it. It was a big documentary about this young outer Mongolian woman who entered the the uh, contest of eagle hunting and won and you know as a as a as a young female it was really a cool achievement well she was six years old when we were there no way and we were in the home of her parents wow who were some of the people we were hunting with she was just a little girl on her mommy's lap huh. you know and we're sitting there they just brought a sheep in and you know bled it out right there slid throat bled it out prepared it and we're having cheese made out of old mare's milk. and Wow. It was spectacular. Hmm. That's you know? amazing. So, you know, things like that. And then, you know, Papua New Guinea uh, being able, as I shared with you. Mm -hmm. In fact, I have to say that, Josiah, the filming I did with you, the, the way you were able to draw the stories and 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 the way you kind of coached me along in that, yeah. in that film I so appreciate it because there's such a there's such a good synergy there yeah now the cool thing about you're going to find out you know you're 30 I'm 68 right right the cool thing is when you get older all of a sudden your dad's friends become your friends mm -hmm. and you don't see that age difference right, right? uh-huh Except I can't keep up with you <laughs> 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 and I would never wrestling for heaven's uh. sakes but uh but that that synergy that that I experienced with you is 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 led to something that the things that we we talk about doing in the future, yeah. like documentaries and things, that leaves me so excited. Yeah. But, but no, when no, I was no. in in, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just gonna say, you yeah. know, it was it was <clears throat> it was it was awesome when it when we went back to producing that that film because you approached me and said, hey, I want to do a story piece, and so we started putting stuff together, and you started pulling little photos out. And we really sat down and started and started going through what that story would look like, you know, the pre-production of the video. And that was something that I got so excited about because I, I knew a little bit about you and a couple of stories when we first started working together. But then when we actually sat down, I started seeing what you where you've been and what you did and, and hearing your whole story when bringing that to film was got me super excited in the team when we started actually pulling stuff together because we, we we pulled a couple of pieces old video that you had and i was go going through all that footage that you had shot you know on different explorations and stuff you talked about and telling your story and i was like the 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 story that we can put together with from your life and what you've done you know with tying in the fashion and all the exp explorations um was was just so exciting and so when we jumped in and started putting that stuff together we were just i was blown away and you know and then i called you and said hey we need to sit down and you need to tell us now you know instead of trying to piece stuff together from all your your trips i said we need to we need to talk about you need to sit down and talk tell the camera and tell the people you know all these different things and how everything ties together because that's really unique and a lot of people have done that um, and so we, I mean, I just had a blast, you know, filming with you. you had the cabin up in northern Idaho, and, or eastern Idaho, excuse me, and uh, going up there and spend some time with you, up, you know, up in your your home, your place, filming. Um, and then you had all your, you know, it was cool when we got to sit down and see all your sketches because we filmed your that whole line, you know, maybe a couple weeks before we did that filming. Right. So I got to see all the pieces finalized, but then we got to see all the pre-production stuff that you put into all your sketches, all your you know uh, sample pieces and inspiration that went into it. And you're like, oh yeah, hey, this photo, you know, I this is that leather that we had from this trip, and so I use that in this car. And I'm j I'm just like the way you piece that stuff together is just so so cool. And I had so much fun working on that project. So thank you for <laughs> having oh. us. Produce that for you. I mean, um, you, you not only produced it, you directed it, and you really, because the angle that I'd thought about and we initially talked mm -hmm. about, like like you just mentioned, when I came back, I remember sitting in your studio with you, and you said, no, Rob, we're not going to do that. This is how it's <laughs> going to be. I went, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. You know, and it, and it was so, it was, you were so right on. And it's like my brother told me one time, it was a quote from Victor Hugo. He said, the purpose of the critic is to save the work from the artist. Mm -hmm. And you were able to take such a 
far better aerial view of the things that we were trying to work on and say, well, Rob, this this would make more sense doing this way or that way. You yeah. know? So I so appreciated that. It just, you know, you kind of, even though it was a path I'd been down, you kind of led me through that path again mm -hmm. and said, don't take that right turn, take this left turn, right? Yeah. And, and that's that's what I enjoy so much about our unique friendship. Yeah. And, our ability to work together like this. Yeah. No, it's, it's been yeah. super fun. And, and each project that we've done together, I've had a ton of fun on, you know, especially with that one. You know, like I just mentioned, everything that went into that was so much fun. And the things that we've talked about and, and the future projects sure. I'm really excited about. So um, I'm excited to just see, you know, especially seeing all your new lines that are coming out, even for 2020 and then in 2021. Um, that's going to be exciting to see that stuff. And what are the kind of things that, you look into those 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 days of when you're you know on these different explorations and putting those pieces together. How does how is did that affect and change you on your on what you're doing even today? Well, I I you know I think everybody like you, you yourself. I know if we if we reverse this around and I start interviewing you, mm -hmm. right? And I'd say Josiah, what was the turning point for you? Because it had to have been when you. You had this passion to go out and tell stories and capture stories yeah. in film. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that do that. Yeah. There's a lot of people that design, mm -hmm. right? So how did you – well, you got started because you thought that would be so cool to do that, right? right? That's, mm -hmm. that's what drives you in the beginning. Yeah. And then you get up there and you kind of go, am I a filmmaker or am I not? Mm -hmm. You know. And then those who – am I a designer or am I not? You know, those who really – care about you a great deal and they can be very meaningful in your life and say well Josiah actually the success in film today is over here therefore you should be filming these types of subjects because that's what's popular now but that moment comes when you go no that's not where I want to be right. so I've got to make a choice here I can either be commercially successful and f be a follower or I can really take a chance here and, and go my own route which is what I love so much in seeing your work. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely something that draws you, and yet when it comes out, you're painting with a camera mm -hmm. because you're creating with a camera. You're not just showing something that exists and saying, here's an artifact of it. You're saying, right. this is what it really means. Yeah. And so someone who gets to see your film sees that through your eyes and, and comprehends it that way. I think for me... Uh, you know, in the very beginning, I would look at Esquire magazine or GQ or what Vogomes, whatever the magazine be, or see right. what other people were doing and do my version of it. Mm -hmm. And then I got to be, I was just around your age when I said, I'm either a designer or I'm not. Right. And I just threw all that stuff away and said, okay, hmm. I'm going to be led by the raw materials that speak to me, and I'm going to design what they tell me they want to be hmm. instead of me commanding the material saying i'm going to bend you into this kind of a look right because this looks popular right now no i'd rather take the beauty and the essence of a of a raw beautiful naked lambskin that shows all the imperfections in the skin it's mm -hmm. not been spray painted you know right. or a beautiful beautifully woven piece of baby alpaca and ultra colors and hand dyed yarns and so wow these in themselves are already artwork mm -hmm. And, and let me kind of see what they want to become together. So, right. you know, I'm, again, I'm waxing off in here into space right. here, Josiah. But, you know, it's, it's all, it's all, it's that, it's that time in your life when, when you've got to make that decision which path you're going to go down. And, right. and then if you're fortunate enough the way you are, you know what's happening with your career. What happened in mine is you make that gutsy decision. You say, I don't care if it's successful or not, but I'm going to be true to what I am. Mm -hmm. And then it works. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's the most wonderful thing in the world. Yeah. Because you're doing something you're passionate about, and it's successful from hopefully in a monetary way as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So how does that lead into the stuff that you're designing now and and your future? Like, what is what do you, you know, because, you know, your stuff's, popping all over the place people are buying it you know the, the the pieces that you're making i got to see those 
from that last photo shoot that you did, those couple pieces, and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you, <laughs> you came because we, we had a pretty these. bottle. That's why you came. <laughs> <laughs> no, but does that kind of, you know, that's you're looking at the future and you're producing these things that are going to outlast, you know, their quality through and through from, you know, the beginning to the end of it, and they're going to last. You, you said it um, on one of the last photo shoots. You want this, people pick your, your garments and they're in their closet until they're 80 90 you know and then they get handed down because they're quality they're long lasting like what is that what does that look like for you over the next you know 10 15 years you know i i um i never think about it that way okay. what what i what i'm going to vision is going to become because it's just such a organic and natural evolution and i'm really comfortable with it you mm -hmm. know when you go through that moment that that's that crystallizing moment when you decide am I going to do it the way I believe it should be done right. or follow the crowd. When you follow, when you go your way and you do it, then your competition becomes yourself, mm -hmm. you know, and you want to, I want to do something better than I've done before, but you just, but you also come to rely on yourself. Mm -hmm. Like you're not out there now worrying about what the setting, what the sun's got to be, what this, because you know, your equipment now. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, you just, there's a sunset, and I'm going to capture the sunset. And you're so excited about, you're not worried about the capturing, how you're going to do it any right. longer. You just know you're going to capture it. Right. You mm -hmm. know, and that's what spurs you on and gets your juices flowing. Mm -hmm. You know, so I feel that way. You know, I, and, and, and no person ever does it alone. Right. You know, I have, you know, the pattern makers I work with that get my vision. I, I, I the mills that, make these beautiful materials, the tanneries that make these beautiful skins. Mm -hmm. You know, I, they've already given me, I'm standing on their shoulders, right? right? And then I take that and, and I design something. But then how good is it when it's just a sketch on a piece? The piece of, thanks for saying what you said about yeah. my sketches, but you can't wear my sketches. Right. <laughs> and I can't make a pattern. Right, <laughs> exactly. And I'm not much at sewing, right? Yeah. So I depend on the people to look at that and say, okay, this is what he's envisioning. Here's the pattern for it. And then here's the first proto sample. And here's uh -huh. the second proto. Here's the salesman sample. And here's the production team that want to get behind and make it. So it's this whole camaraderie and this whole or, or, or grouping of people that bring product to market. Mm -hmm. And when you're not market-driven, which you and I are not, mm -hmm. we are product-driven. Yeah. We think first and foremost of what it is we want to make. How can we make it to the best of our ability? Then we worry about how we're going to distribute or share it. Right. Would that, would that not be true? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when you're fortunate enough to be able to do that and there's an audience that appreciates your work, you can only have one feeling, and that's humility. Mm -hmm. Because if it weren't for all these things that happen and all these wonderful support people in your life and 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 those people out there that get what you do and look for it, forget about it. Right. You know, that's everything. Mm -hmm. You know, so what more could you want in life other than the health and the welfare of your family and your loved ones than to be able to do something that you believe you're, you're making something that's going to edify and, and give people uh, great satisfaction. I'll tell you a cute, funny story. So I get a box in the mail a couple of years ago and I just didn't open it, didn't open it, didn't open it. It was just a personal box of something to uh -huh. me, right? Finally opened it up, and it has this old leather jacket that I designed back in 1982. Wow. Right? And I pull it out, and there's a letter with it. It goes, Dear Mr. Comstock, I bought this jacket when I was, in, when I was an undergraduate. Or I was a graduate, and I, I was becoming an architect. It was the most expensive piece of clothing I'd ever bought and I was consternated whether or not I should buy it but I bought it and I was always had such pride wherever I wore it and he said it saw me through my entire marriage my three children that are all graduated now. Wow. <laughs> he says and the other day my wife and he says I've I had to reline it one time and I've had and the leather's huh. all scuffed up and my wife the other day my wife said you have to take this out of your closet she said and he said, so I reminded her that I'd had my coat longer than, than she herself. <laughs> <laughs> so huh. anyway, that was, so that was such a fun thing to receive. I've, yeah. I've had people write and say, I've had people come to me and say, uh, my husband was buried in, in your coat. Wow. You know? I mean, 
because you just think of it as something you make, but I know it's mm-hmm. the same for you. When someone sees your film and it inspires them, yeah. and gosh, if you can do that, what else would you ever want to do with your work? Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it, it rings a lot because a lot of what, you know, everything that we do is, is visual. You know, that final sure. product is so visual. <clears throat> and so when you get to see that work on whether it's a big screen you know I've, I've been on the big screen in a theater now and so that was a big huge accomplishment my work and as well as my face but you know a big screen there or just a screen at a show or a screen in a you know in a uh, on online you know instagram yeah. facebook or something like that um and then people look at it and they say wow i was re- you know the the visual of it the story of you know whatever piece it was that they you know they give any kind of compliment back that that affected them that's always a huge thing and it's always a humbling you know because you can get caught up in the work and like oh it's never good enough and mm-hmm. you know I, I did it and it's not my best work and da 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 but then someone sees it and they're like oh my gosh that was amazing like it brought me to tears like that will that will that's brought me to tears when i've heard that just because yeah. of being able to put all my passion all drive and what i do into something and maybe i don't think it's the you know the best my best work or whatnot but then when someone else sees it and they're moved by it, it's just a touching, you know, it's something that, that affects you in a different way than that's the satisfaction, but it's still humbling satisfaction, sure. if that makes sense. You no, know, absolutely. It's just a different. And you can remember exactly where you were when you came up with the concept. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like that, someone can show me a design, I'll tell you exactly what year it was, where I was, what I was thinking. Wow. I mean, the first time I ever was in a, I just started designing. I've been going at it for a year, and I was in a national publication, mm. right? And a, a very important publication. And I saw it, and I thought, I remember right where I was where I designed that, huh. you know? But then I remembered something that happened to one of my loved ones in my family and something that, it, that I'd worked very closely with. And I thought, this is great, but it's not as great as, hmm. as, as the family, right. you know? So I think it's also wonderful to, because sometimes you have to be very careful that your 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 abilities or your talent or your passion doesn't direct you. Mm-hmm. You need to direct them, hmm. you know. And that's selecting. That's okay, good. this is what's really important for me. This is what's really important for my family. This is really what life's really about, you know. So I'm not going to let this other drive me just because I can. Or I want to go out and build the best collection in the world. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't. That's not my, luckily. Yeah. And and I'm, that's not what drives me. Mm. So. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's but I mean, that's that's why I enjoy so much the camaraderie with you. Mm-hmm. You know, is that there's, even though there's a, there's a age difference, but I don't feel right. that. I feel yeah. like I'm prettily 18. <laughs> I know I'm not. I right. see a picture yeah. of myself. Who's the dude like with the white hair? <laughs> But uh, right. but there's a kindred spirit there because when any, and whenever someone loves what they do and they do it for free, mm-hmm. that makes the difference. Right. Mm-hmm. There's not a driving force to do it to become something, to become known for it. I've always I'd much rather have my work speak for itself. Yeah. Than to you know. Because mm-hmm. and I feel like that's where a lot of the success comes from on the difference between you know, one person that all they have is the dollar amount that's in their mind versus the people that do it with their passion. I mean, some of those people that do it with their passion, they, you know, might not get there with the dollar amount that, that, you know, would follow along with it. But I see a lot of times that that's where, you know, when someone puts their, you know, everything that they have into that and that's what they do, no matter, you know, if they're, if they going to make it big or not, but that's, that's who they know that they've been called to, to, to do then that's where that success comes from because yeah. then it's both sides. You know, usually it's the financial side as well, but it's then it's that satisfaction that you have of like I accomplished and I did what I, you know, what I set out to do and what I felt like I was called to, yeah, called to do. I think it's kind of an analogy that comes when I listen to you say that. I think about it's like if you have a grandparent or someone in your life who became very sick and let's say that they, you know, that your parents elected to have them pass away in their home, right? Mm-hmm. And you bathe them or you 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 were with them through every step of that so when they're passing it when they passed away it was it was a celebration you were happy they were in a better place now yeah and then you go to a funeral and you can maybe see relatives who kind of 
didn't want to get involved mm-hmm. and they're crying their eyes out there yeah. and but yeah you're sitting there with a big smile on your face because you were you were with them right through that through that moment thing i think it's the same thing in i was wondering how i was going to draw this back to our work and <laughs> yeah. i just forget because sometimes yeah. i get off on the side vent can't remember but i think it's the same thing with the with the way that you approach your work in that if you decide you want to do something become to become famous or to make a lot of money, you'll never reach it. Mm. You can never be famous enough. You've always got to worry about who's coming up behind you. Mm. You can you can never make enough money because what if I, what if I, what if the lights go out tomorrow and I make some big mistake and lose everything? Then how could I get it back? Mm-hmm. So you're chasing this mercurial thing that exists as an idea, but it's but it's not real. Mm. Whereas if you do something because of the follow the passion of your heart. You're never worried about uh, if you've got enough money, if you've got enough to put food on the table, it's all you really worry about mm-hmm. it because you didn't catch this. You didn't do this dream to to be taken on a ride. You follow this dream because you want to explore this path and see what the and you don't know where the end's going to be. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what's exciting. And that's why you never worry about who's coming. In fact, instead of worrying about someone coming behind you. You want to pull them along with you. Got you. Got to come see this stuff. Yeah. You know how cool it would be if you can help someone become a young Josiah and, right. and get into this, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. No, I hope that all awesome. tied together yeah, somehow. No, it made sense I what I was great. first thinking yeah, about. Putting that together. No, it's 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 <clears> the difference between you know people that do what they love to do and versus people that hate their life, you know, and doing something that's that's not that's not fulfilling them. We're not giving them that joy you know in sure. life so sure. no i think that's that's awesome and that's why i wanted to have you on here because it's just everything that you have and and the knowledge and what you've done and all that kind of stuff is is super super cool how would you because i've talked to a lot of people that are, love to be in the fashion world and want to you know pursue that you know in different areas as far as if they want to design if they want to you know make or whatnot what's kind of the things that you've learned that you can that giving that to that you know um that next generation of people that are designing and creating their own stuff and whatnot. What's a, is there any, any tips or, or just wisdom that you can. I, I think that the, it's what we've been talking about the whole interview. Mm-hmm. It's, it's having that passion. Yeah. And wanting, wanting to do it so that when those moments come and there'll be lots of them, when you're hitting your face against the wall, you think a man, I could lose everything I have tomorrow or, because the, the worst thing is going to happen to me, but you go, you know what? I still would do this for free. Mm-hmm. I would do this, but, or you go through, because as you know, being your own boss, right, you work more hours than you would ever expect someone oh, yeah. else to work. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't, if you can't find that kind of love with it, if if you have a desire to create, right, you know, and I don't think necessarily everybody has to have this desire to create. Right. Mm-hmm. I've got lots of dear friends who have done far better economically. <laughs> there are times in my career where I could have quit and been set for life, right. you know, but I never did it for that. So I think, well, I'll invest in this over here and then I'll crash and burn and uh-huh. come out of it, you know. But I think, but I've got dear friends who really good business minds mm-hmm. and they say, I'm going to set this business up. Here's my goal. I'm going to, I'm going to, create this i'm going to build this i'm going to sell out at this point in time and then they do whatever they want to do and they can go help other people and so there's lots of ways we can do this right but if you're born with this creativity that's got to find its way out mm-hmm. it's a bit of a curse yeah. you know and, and i'm saying right. that facetiously no, obviously no, that's but you because you don't do it for the material gain you do it because of all the reasons we've, we've talked about yeah. here mm-hmm Awesome. So uh, that so you say if someone were coming along in fashion, for example, fashion's such a huge thing. It can right. be retail. It can be wholesale. It can be. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing about fashion is it ties so well with film, and it ties so well with music, right? right. And there's very few industries in the world like you could be a really good attorney, and create this great contract, but who's going to see this contract, right? right. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can be a, a filmmaker like yourself. And gosh, six months later, it can be in the theaters. Right. Mm-hmm. That's pretty darn cool. Yeah. You know, or I can do a design and it can be in a vitrina in this beautiful store in New York or right. Paris. Mm-hmm. And you kind of go, and again, it's not because, but, but you do like to have some, 
it's nice when people do appreciate what you do. Right. And then acknowledgement does spur you on. Mm-hmm. And and there's so in fashion, I think but you but if you don't have if you if you enter into it because you want to create badly, that's the reason to do it. Because so many obstacles will be there against your making it. Right. And you've got to be able, when those moments come, when everybody else would kind of throw in the towel, you've got to have just that extra degree that keeps you in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like every great sports story of every, any right. great sports person, any great team, whatever it was, yep. when it looked the bleakest, they hung in there and then they became the champions and they never would have if they wouldn't have stayed with it. Right. You know, so if you do have that and you want to get in you you have to have that Mm -hmm. to to do well yeah i mean or be really lucky (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty few and far between (laughs) i think that's true yeah yeah no that's good that's Mm -hmm. awesome well we're um i'm pleased you were able to come on and take the time to jump on the podcast we always i always appreciate hanging out with you and hearing your stories and working with you as well but uh looking forward to the next next couple projects that we'll be working on so really excited about those thanks so Josiah. where can um where can people find find more information about you well thanks thanks to you <laughs> my friend they can go to robertcomstock.com mm-hmm. and see the the story of how the company evolved yeah and that was the earlier part of our conversation mm-hmm. when you directed it that way yeah. it was so compelling and appreciated, but they can go there, okay. and then um, and uh, that'll lead them. And we're going to be doing future work yeah. down the road, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm excited to bring them along every season through yeah. that. Yeah, no, that's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on again. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Josiah. We'll we'll have you on again. I look forward to it. Awesome. Thanks. Okay, brother. See you. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you're able to glean some valuable insights from this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review. And let us know what you thought and your feedback. We would love to hear from you. If you want to find out more, visit silverlinefilm.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook under Silverline Films. And we look forward to seeing you next week on Silverline Behind the Frame.